This is Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Just to let you know, we have a vodcast on YouTube where you can watch the edited highlights of the episode. And don't forget to subscribe. If you fancy the full audio version, symbols, just keep listening. Oh, and if you've got a second, please give us five stars and a review. It really helps us stand out and get this important message to even more people that need to hear it the most. Meantime, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Sarah Ibrahim. Sarah is now one full year clean from cocaine addiction and has been using the 20 years of lived experience and a subsequent training as a recovery coach to help bring others out of the darkness of addiction to dance with her in the light. She's a single mum to a three-year-old boy who has been the catalyst for massive transformation in her life and she strives to be her best for them both. A born leader, Sarah is using her skills, knowledge and experience to create a new recovery community to bring people together and support personal transformations. And I had all these stories and all this fear. I realised then was, you know what, as much as those reasons are, are real, they're just excuses. They're just excuses to not hold yourself to this level of accountability. The reason you haven't told her is because you're leaving yourself a little gap in case you want to go back. So I would think to myself, what has got to happen in order for me to quit? Do I need to die? <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to say my addiction because I don't own it. It's not mine. It's nothing to do with me, right? The addiction creeps up on me. So this is why I have to speak up the way that I do because there's just so much stigma and stereotypes that are just not accurate. You know, many, many people are fighting a battle that you won't even know about. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Good morning. How oh, are you? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Madeline. What an honour. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, as my show is called Unbroken, Healing Through Storytelling, the first question I ask every guest is, what does the word unbroken mean to you? So, unbroken to me means just retrieving back all the parts of ourselves, really, that have been lost through misdemeanors shall we say so for mm -hmm. me personally it's an addiction story and recovery isn't just about recovering from cocaine use it's about recovering all those parts of me that I just willfully gave away and ignored and abandoned over a 20-year destructive cycle and so getting back getting recovering myself has been the most enlightening and empowering thing that I've ever done actually Oh, God, I'm, I'm almost in tears already. I've only asked you the first question. <laughs> it just sounds like there's almost, I kind of get a vision of a garden, like you scattered all these seeds everywhere and now you're trying to bring them back to the one pot. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely yeah. right. Beautiful. So we know your story is one of addiction and we know, um, like most teenagers, you kind of dabbled a little bit when you were younger, but it kind of grew from there really, didn't it? Yes. I mean, it's a slippery slope. People say that and we just... You know, you think it's one of the things that people say. It's not going to affect me like that. You know, it's fun. I'm just having a laugh. Like, yeah. I'm a teenager. This is what we do. Um, it, never in a billion years did I think that I was going to end up doing like 500 pounds in a week on coke and, you know, staying up all night and being skinned and being a mum that felt guilt and shame like every single day. You know, if I hadn't known that that was going to be the end um, destination, I, I would like to think that I would have thought twice about that. Um, but alas, I didn't know that at the time. So you kind of started with cannabis and, and speed and you took ecstasies and at the weekend you were taking a lot of ease and you were partying and not sleeping. And I think it was when you were working in a bar that you got introduced to cocaine and it, that's really when that started. But that really wasn't in your teenage years, was it? 
No, so in my teenage years, as you say, I just dabbled a bit, you know, a little bit of speed, a little bit, a little bit of weed here and there. You know, it was never something that really lit me up. It was just if it was around then, well, whatever, I'll just do that, you know. And I was drinking a lot, even from 13, really. You know, my dad would let me drink with him in the pub. I would rock up in the pub in my school uniform and just... Oh, my God. Could you imagine that now, your dad bringing you to a pub and listening? Absolutely. It just wouldn't go over at all, would it? But, you know, this was 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so that's really where it started. And then from when I was kind of about 19, I discovered ecstasy. Well, that was it. I lost 10 years of my life right there. Um, you know, and they were such good times. I'm not going to try and say, you know, devastate. I lost a lot of jobs. I lost a lot of sleep. Um, I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I lost a lot of credibility with my friends, with my with my family, with my employers, you know, all of the things. But that didn't stop me because I just lived for the weekend. Parting, okay. Party animal. 100%, 100%. But in that time, you know, I was introduced to cocaine. And for about the first seven years, it was never something I really wanted. You know, if it was there, hey, I would do it. Of course I would. What, who's going to say no? This was what my my own thinking, obviously. Um, and I I didn't understand people that would go out, do a bit of coke, go home with cocaine and, and then go to bed. I was like, I don't, how do you do that? Because it would make me really, really chatty and make me really animated and make me really lively. And, and you're like, quite chatty anyway, so I'm just imagining you on drugs would just be, oh, you, you, because your words come out very fast, so you would be even faster. I will try and slow down, actually. No, you're Thank fine, you you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when I get into my flow, it's just like, blah, 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 That's you know. good, it's all good, it's all good. I, I live fast. Fast, talk fast, think fast, yeah. everything is fast. Um, but, you know, by the time I was about 27 and cocaine had been around me for about seven years by then, I was meeting more and more guys that were dealers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it became something that was very consistent in my life. And before I knew it, it was something that I did want. It was something I was going out looking for, something that I was going out buying. It was the reason that I was going to work was to get the money to buy the coke. Um, and, you know, I, I went on a very rapid downward spiral from there for about 10 years after that, more than that, even about 12 years um, until it got to a point where I was doing it, you know, more or less every day, easily three or four times a week, easily not sleeping for two or three days on the spin, you know, just coke cigarettes and booze for like three four days at a time and you can't your body can't sustain that but what what i found fascinating that even despite this mad chaotic drug life that you had you still got a first class degree at university i know in, in uh, tourism management wasn't it that's it international tourism management and here's the thing madeline is what i've thought to myself over the years is actually that my gifts have gone against me in a way so I'm very blessed with being able to just pick things up at the drop of a hat you know I'm really good at the jobs that I do which is why I managed to sustain employment for all that time um you know I'm very bright and and naturally gifted with that but I think people have the image that if you are a chronic drug user which sounds like you were how could you go to university you would be one of these people that would be begging in the streets you know people's perception of what a drug addict or user looks like is not somebody that goes to uni and gets a first class honours degree and so this is why I have to speak up the way that I do because there's just so much stigma and stereotypes that are just not accurate you know many many people are fighting a battle that you won't even know about now I went to uni and um, yeah, I missed a lot of it. I mean, of course, I missed a lot of it. I was getting out my face most of the time. And I believe um, you blew I, your your entire loan, didn't you, in three yeah, weeks? Yeah, two and a half grand, three grand in like up your nose. Days. Yeah, 
literally and it was yeah it was an eye-opener for me but it didn't stop me at all but mm-hmm. I you know having this natural intelligence meant that I didn't need to worry about anything I knew that I was always just going to walk into another job I knew that I was always going to be okay because I, I just was and so that flippancy I became very complacent with that and used that as an excuse to just do whatever the hell I wanted because well I didn't need to worry because I was going to get through it which I did which was miraculous I know. So um, you were uh, exhausted in the day and you were broke, oh, yeah. but at night you were always high. And it had an impact on your family life as well because you looked terrible, you were unreliable, you even oh, yeah. missed your mum's 60th birthday party. And yeah. I, I read an article where you said you thought you were in control, but actually it was the drug that was controlling yeah. you. So can you speak a bit more about that? Yeah. This is the thing. I think with addiction, we often don't know that we're addicted until we try and quit. Yeah. Like that fact that I was completely hooked, completely eluded me. Now, it sounds ludicrous thinking about it now, looking back, like, how could you not know? Hello. I had no clue. I had absolutely zero clue. I wasn't looking for it. Even if I did have a clue, it wouldn't have stopped me. And I just was absolutely delusional. (laughs) I really thought I was having a good time. I genuinely thought this is what I'm here for. This is what I love to do. This is how I enjoy spending my time. And God knows on those days when the come downs would come, like they would last like two, three, four days. And as soon as I got back up again, celebrate with a party, of course. And so So it's a vicious cycle then, isn't it? In those in between days, I hated it. I hated myself. I hated everything and my moods, you know, well, completely erratic, unstable. And I was never again, never again, never again. But what I meant was never again do I want to feel like this. I didn't mean never again am I going to do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and therein lay the problem because yeah. how quickly we forget. Like as soon as I felt better, it was like, yeah, let's celebrate. Like, and round we go again. Yeah. And then you um, became pregnant, didn't you? Which was a surprise. You might say that, yes. Yeah. So at 36 years old, I fell pregnant as a result of one night stand, which obviously was a party night. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not entirely my proudest moment, but actually it has turned out to be because that boy has saved my freaking life. He's a complete gift, isn't he? Absolutely. My gosh. Yeah. (laughs) He's he's something else. Honestly, I can't even tell you about Chase. Um, He really is something else. But even having him, Madeline, and you know, I'm not, not proud of myself to say this even having him wasn't enough to stop me I really thought that it would be you know throughout my pregnancy I gave up everything and the first three months of his life there was nothing and then I you know done the one line and of course that was the gateway into another two years of massive destruction and I would look at my son and just think why aren't you enough why aren't you enough like you know and make that mean what a terrible person I am and I'm hearing that so many emotions like the guilt and the shame and the self-loathing you know why can't I do this for him I can't do it for myself so yeah that's um that's a lot of beating yourself up there isn't it scare me because I would think to myself what has got to happen in order for me to quit do I need to die <laughs> do i need to like that's you know, quite an extreme way to quit well yeah. <laughs> does my son need to come in and find me having a cardiac arrest before i like before i stop you know and these thoughts would occur to me and of course i would remedy them by running the hell away as fast as i can straight into my dealer's house or pocket you know um and that was how i fixed everything for so 20 years running away as fast as i can do you think that's really what your addiction was about was just running away from life 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So what I've come to realize just very recently, so I've been in recovery now just over a year. It took me until 11 months in to suddenly, bam, see the root cause of it. And it was abandonment, right? And I have a story of abandonment throughout my childhood, which I I didn't know. How would I know that? It was just my childhood. You know, I was just growing up. Um, Can you say you had a chaotic childhood? Is that what you mean? The abandonment came from Oh, coming to that. Hold on. But so what I've done, I've since realized is spent the subsequent years abandoning myself right because that's what I was taught. well that's what you I call it abandonment but I call it like a disconnect you're not connecting into you yeah so it's I too just... scary to connect in because then you might have to face some of those feelings well what happened was throughout my childhood my dad would go to Egypt a lot right and he, he was Egyptian so he would go to Egypt for what he said was two weeks and would turn out to be six months at a time now little Sarah after a while realized he wasn't coming back after two weeks um and yet the lies continued yeah and you know little Sarah would be like don't go I don't want you to go I want you to come back didn't matter he would just do what he wanted um and so this story played out and then you know my granddad died when I was nine um and this was somebody I was very close to so again I felt abandoned didn't make that connection at the time obviously um and then into my teenage years we found out my dad had actually married somebody else in Egypt while he was still married to my mom and there were four of us here in the oh, UK man. again this story you're not worthy he doesn't love you you're not important enough you're just a stupid little girl he can't even bother to tell you the truth he can't bother to stick around in the UK why would he stick around for you abandonment 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 and then he died when I was 17 and that's the ultimate abandonment and from that day on my drug taking escalated to epic astronomical okay. proportions and I've abandoned myself and that's why I say it that way because I have because I wasn't worth it to myself I wasn't worth saving my own life for mm-hmm. so your dad made you feel so worthless I mean especially when you discovered that he had yet another family that this family wasn't good enough and then you yeah. just felt well I'm not good enough either so let me just be clear I don't lay the blame for my drug taking at my dad's door I absolutely do not that's my own actions that's my own you know, way of dealing with things. I manifested that into my reality through my inability to cope any other way, right? There was absolutely no blame allocation going on here. And he didn't make me feel anything. I I felt that way. I interpreted it as such. Um, However, you know, we do have to say, okay, you know, he was doing the best that he could with what he had, you know? And and to us sitting here right now, you just think like, what the fuck are you actually thinking? Like, how is that the best you've got? Like, come on, man. But as a uh, little Sarah, as you call yourself, there's so many mixed messages. Yeah, I'll see you in a couple of weeks and then it's yeah. six months and, and that repeated. So that it's hard to deal with all these mixed messages, isn't it, that you were dealt? Uh, yeah. Of course yeah, that yeah. hurt. So obviously we know now you've had your first birthday of being clean. And by the time this is aired, it will be a few months on from this. What was the turning point? How did you decide, this is it, I'm not doing it anymore? What happened? So my drug taking had escalated in terms of like monetary cost, in terms of my health. You know, I'm living with my mum. And so I would be waiting for Chase to go to bed at seven o'clock at night, then starting to get on it then, right? Mm -hmm. Starting at seven o'clock. And did your mum have any idea if you're living under her roof? (laughs) So I thought, no, but of course, you know, hello. Um, But she had no clue of kind of the extent of it. You know, she had her suspicions, but she was like, surely she can't be. She can't. She wouldn't. I was. Um, And so through the lockdown, you know, it really, really went wild. And I just got to a point where I was like, you know, you're going to die if you carry on doing this. And do you really want your son to come into your room one morning and find you overdosed? Like, is that how this is going to end for you? And do you um, want to abandon your son in the ultimate yeah. way, as you called it? And also, I just, you know, 
one day I really needed to buy him some pajamas and I was struggling to find six pounds to buy him a pair of pajamas in Primark, having just got on it all night. And I just thought, who are you? Who actually even are you? This is disgusting. You are sick. There's, n- there's nothing right about this situation. You've got to stop. Um, and that was basically it. Now, I'd thought that before, I guess, but never meant it. Um, but this time I really did. And so I had to own that truth immediately, which for me looked like telling my mum and for me looked like telling the whole world on Facebook in order to hold myself to the highest level of accountability. Now, this is not something that I necessarily advocate. OK, mm-hmm. however, for me, it was the right course of action. And I knew that I needed to be seen. Otherwise, I would just continue okay, with you know, so you, you needed almost to um, out yourself in some way. How did that conversation, we'll start with your mum, how did that conversation with your mum go? Oh, Madeline, imagine 39 years old, sitting your mum down and going, by the way, mum, I've got a massive coat problem and I've been doing it in your house for the last two years whilst you're sleeping. You know, it's never going to go very well, is it? However, to her credit, it went actually as well as it could. Um, and she was very, very supportive of me. So what, what happened was I quit the drugs. Four days later, I joined a mastermind program with... Um, a couple of coaches called Dante and Vicky Killian, amazing, amazing husband and wife couple. And we started doing some work around finding your purpose. And I was like, why am I even doing this? I freaking know my purpose. Like I'm a coach. Hello. Um, but I thought, well, you know, I've paid the money for the program. Let me just indulge myself. Mm-hmm. And I went through the process. Well, never have I been through anything more transformative in my life. What, because, why? What happened? What, what did they Well, do? so I went through the process. And at the end of it, when I wrote out my, my, my purpose, I looked at it and I thought, That is a complete fucking lie because it's missing the part where it says, I'm here to help people come out of the darkness of addiction and dance in the light. But I couldn't say that because if I said that, then I would have to operate under the radar so that nobody found out that I had this addiction story. And then my mum might find out. So how could I build a business around it? And in that moment, I knew that I had to tell her. I knew I had to tell everybody. From there, I thought to myself, okay, what if my mum phones the police? What if my mum calls social services and Chase gets taken away from me? What if my mum kicks us both out or just kicks me out and she keeps Chase? And I had all these stories and all this fear. And what I realised then was, you know what? As much as those reasons are, are real, they're just excuses. They're just excuses to not hold yourself to this level of accountability. The reason you haven't told her is because you're leaving yourself a little gap in case you want to go back. Stop that shit. Right. And just get on with it. And I came home from the laundrette, classy girl that I am. And I told my mum immediately. And as I say, a few days later, I thought I, I have to be honest and have integrity with my audience. You know, people have been following me for a long time and stuff like this. And I'd had varying degrees of success with my business, but never really kind of made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized now, how could I coach people on finding their voice, on showing up authentically when actually I was hiding this big, massive day secret? And it's kind of like you. I need to walk the talk as well. Hell yeah. And yeah. so I, 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 you know, again, I had all this fear. Well, who's going to trust a coach that's a cokehead? Who is going to want to buy from somebody that's openly said they've got a coke problem? I thought, you know what? Let that be however it is. And I'm going to tell everybody. And I did. And within 10 weeks, I'd made 10K in my business. And I was just like, I don't get this. But obviously, I do get it because so obviously, the, the, the Facebook Live and the posts that you put out, yeah, it was went just, very well. As soon as I stepped into my power and owned my truth in that way, people saw me differently. And so, the people that bought my one to one coaching program were the very same people that I'd been marketing to for the previous two years who had not bought anything from me. And all of a sudden, they were just wanting to sign up with me and work with me one to one. Let me be clear about this as well it wasn't about addiction, you know, this was about finding your life path and, you know, building a route to success for yourself. And so 
I was just like, but, wow, absolutely blown say, away. You know, once I stepped into my power and I spoke my truth, but actually it's about being vulnerable, isn't it? And it's about yeah. being authentic and about being real. Being real yeah. And you would have, without a doubt, done that. What did it feel like when you were doing this Facebook Live? Was your heart thumping a million miles an hour or no, sweating or were you okay? Did it feel like this is actually what I need to do? Yeah, all of or it. Or everything. <laughs> yeah. All of it, all of it, all of it. So I, I came out and told the world a few days later, but then I did a live um, five weeks in. I just suddenly felt inspired today's the day to tell my story. Now, it was a very snotty production <laughs> and I didn't have any tissue, which was really, really <laughs> Very well prepared, Sarah. Tip, next time, take your tissues, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was the most transformative thing, actually, and the response i could never have predicted the response madeline nearly two thousand people have watched that video now um to this day and just a massive outpouring of love and respect and not acknowledgement of the courage that it took now to me i wasn't thinking wow this is really courageous i was just like i need to share this story let me just say it um and that was yeah i'm very spontaneous and so very little thought goes into some of my actions and so i was just like literally sitting right here in this chair and i suddenly thought today's the day to share my story and i hit the button and that was it Hadn't well, there's something beautiful back. about that spontaneity though isn't it because then you're not rigid and you're not restricted and it's good that you've still got this aliveness in you which is lovely without the drugs absolutely and so that was a shock to me you know for all these years I'd put it down to the drugs I'm so animated and chatty and had this confidence and whatever and what I've realized is god I, I had it already well how would I know that so it's uh, so really really interesting point for people to listen to I'd love to just repeat that people think that it's a crutch and it helps them to do things but actually all of that journey made you realize that was always inside of you the whole time yeah 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 it's a beautiful point there yeah this version of me has just been dying to get out and I've had her under lock and key for like many 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 years and um, but now she's here and she's here to stay so it's like I wonder what people are restricting and holding back and the, all that potential that's within them that's suppressed by whatever they're doing you know not just addicted to drugs addicted yep. to food or exercising or whatever it is or right. you know how we hold back our potential so I know you also um, saw a hypnotherapist as well how did that help you I did so this is how the universe helps us and puts the right people in our path I started working with an amazing lady called Amanda Joy Harrison who um, I was supporting her as her VA, actually, mm-hmm. and it turned out she was a clinical hypnotherapist that specialised in addictions. Okay. And as we made the connection, I thought, I know that you're in my path for a reason, but I hadn't quit then. And about six weeks later, I thought, this has all come on top. It's time. And she was the first person that I told, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very nervous about that because I thought, well, she fires me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she didn't. She was like, you know, actually, I'd rather have people that, are, you know, really aligned with this, what we're doing, then then somebody doesn't understand it. So thank you for telling me and let me offer you some sessions. So I did four sessions with her. So I think I did one before I quit and then the other three after. Um, But that was amazing. It was really, really helpful. And from there, I I had no other help. You know, I didn't join any fellowship groups. I didn't see my doctor. I didn't didn't pursue any other avenue of, Mm -hmm. of support. I just kind of did it on my own, using Facebook, using my voice as my you know, as the thing that was going to keep me on track, the visibility. So is it that you've just redirected your purpose? I mean, do you not sometimes think, oh, I could really do a line tonight or I really... Oh, my God, yeah, all the time. (laughs) How do you, without support, because it sounds like you've just become a really good self-supporter, how do you uh, work with that when these urges come in? So there are people that I do talk to and that I can talk to if I want to, but I don't have, like, a sponsor or anything like that. And actually what I find is, for me personally... 
talking to somebody about it just adds fuel to the desire because it's making it more real. It's making me want thinking about it more. Do you know what I mean? Where if it's just lurking around in my brain, I can kind of have a word with myself. So one really helpful tool that I have used is to make a list of all of the pain that cocaine has ever caused me from, you know, and this is things like missing my mum's 60th birthday party to, you know, going out on three-day benders when I was married and just turning my phone off and having endless arguments with my husband at the time and blah, 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 blah. Really sat down and went into all of the things that I've tried so hard to forget. And I have that list very handy to me most of the time so that when that thought creeps up on me, I can instantly recognize it as the voice of addiction. It's not me. It's the addiction speaking. I mean, I'm not even going to say my addiction because I don't own it. It's not mine. It's nothing to do with me, right? The addiction creeps up on me at the most unexpected times. And I just go straight to that list of pain and I go, okay, you know what? These are the real things that are going to happen. Your brain is trying to say, go on, you deserve it. Your brain is saying, nobody will need to know. Your brain is saying, come on, how are you going to get through the day? You don't like how you're feeling. Yeah, we know how to solve this. It'll be all right. We, we, we won't go crazy this time. That's one of my favorite lies I tell myself. We won't go crazy this time. Yeah, fucking right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I go to my list of pain and I think, okay, well, what will actually happen is that I'll turn up at nursery out my nut. It'll run out faster than what I wanted it to. I'm going to be skin. I'm not going to sleep. Then I'm probably going to smoke as well, which I've just quit. I'll drink alcohol. That's going to cost me more money. I don't have the money. Then tomorrow I'm going to get up. I'll only have had about four hot seconds sleep. So I'm going to feel like shit, which is going to make me want to do it again. So I'm going to spend the day doing it again. And then it's going to get to the third day. And now I don't even want it, but I'm going to have to have it because there's no other way to get through the freaking day. And here we go. And if I can play that out in my brain and really get into the feels of how that awful feeling of like, what the fuck have I done? Um, Then that puts a stop to it for me. to, To change your mindset and to have that, personal awareness that that's a huge thing and for a lot of people they still listen they can't disconnect that those thoughts uh, no. that they they could do them any differently yeah. so that that takes an amazing amount of strength and insight really it's, it's been a journey I'm not going to say it's always easy you know there yeah. are days that I've come on my Facebook and I've said like this fucking thing is on me today and I'm here to tell the story because I want you to know that it can look like it's easy for me I can look like I'm you know sailing through this thing and I'm not I'm fighting this battle every day and right now here in this moment I really want to get on it there's no reason for it <laughs> I just do yeah. um and owning those moments really helps me as well actually to just stay on track like so coming off have you cut out everything? Do you drink at all? or? Yeah, I drink sometimes. I mean, drinking was never really my thing. I used okay. to just drink because I was getting on it. Um, it's not the same doing it without drinking. It would make me really digy and just mm-hmm. twitchy and I didn't enjoy it. Um, but now drinking is just like, you know, it holds no appeal to me really. Occasionally I'll have like a lager down the pub if I'm having a lunch or something like that, you know, but it's not something that I do. I don't drink wine indoors or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, alcohol was never really the issue for me. And I'm aware that obviously if I do go too crazy, that that could potentially lead me into making bad decisions. And I definitely don't want to do that. So, you know, it's not something that I've found hard to just curb. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're starting um a recovery community which is actually happening by the time this is out it might actually be uh, launched can you tell us a little bit about your recovery central oh my gosh recovery central is has been named as such because recovery has to be central in every single freaking day mm. now some would argue that you know faith and all of that has should be central and i also agree with that however recovery is imperative that we pay attention to it and stay vigilant to it every single day and so 
as I said earlier, I never plugged myself into a recovery community throughout my throughout the last year until this year in January when I decided to train as a recovery coach, right? And through that training, I suddenly had this massive network of peers, of people that really got it, people that were there to support me and understand me and not question me, not judge me. Um, and the difference it's made, I can't even tell you, has been freaking immense. Mm-hmm. And so from there, what I felt guided to do was actually, you know, I know that I'm here to lead. I know that I'm here to shine. I know that, you know, my voice and my, my story holds incredible power. And to not use that would be a disservice, not just to myself, but to the people that I'm here to mm-hmm. support. And so I want to create this community. I am creating this community, I should say, which will be like a support hub where, you know, others can be seen and heard and validated and accepted and met exactly right where they're at. I'm going to be sharing all the tools, the resources, the the content, all of the stuff that's helped me get clean and stay clean, right? So it's for those that are in recovery. Um, and I'll be running different trainings. You know, if you want to set up a business, we'll go through some trainings on that. If you want to understand more about spirituality, we'll go through some more trainings on that. If we want to do meetups, you know, I'm keen to build this with my but members. This is a virtual, this is an online community, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's going to be an online community. I'm just sourcing a platform at the moment. It's probably going to be Kartra or something like that, but there'll probably be an associated Facebook group maybe. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so there'll be like pre-recorded content and stuff that people can engage with and, you know, we'll do regular connections because it's all about connection is what I've found in recovery that, you know, well, I'm hearing it's about connection, but also you talked about this accountability, isn't it? To yes, say it out loud is, and exactly. then it's, once you've said it, like yeah. people know, and it's, I think it's also the shame, isn't it? That really holds us back yeah. from saying yeah. it, what it, what it, that addiction, how it shames us as well. But yeah. what is beautiful is, is your understanding of why and i think yeah. once you can understand what purpose it serves it makes a huge difference really doesn't I, it i think it's also important to say that i just don't believe that there's any one way to recover yeah. right i just do not believe that there's any one size fits all approach to recovery and you know there's a lot of different communities out there which are great and i would never talk down about anybody that's doing this kind of work mm-hmm. however for me I, do, I just find that you know if i air something as a problem and then it's off my chest okay great helpful but what I really need is some support with changing that thinking or addressing yeah. the actual problem like saying it is one thing dealing with it is quite another and so this community is going to be a place for that that kind of support you know I'm going to bring my recovery coaching I'm going to bring my business coaching my inspiration coaching my spiritual life coaching it's all there under one roof mm-hmm. so that people can pick and choose the best parts of whatever it is that resonates with them to help them with their recovery Mm-hmm. So as we're kind of coming near to the end of our interview, the time whizzes by. I know forty now, and life is so much better. It's brilliant. Oh, but gosh. what what um, advice? I guess maybe firstly for someone that recognises a friend or a relative has an addiction, and then for yeah. someone that actually has an addiction because there's two different things there, really, aren't there? Absolutely. So for a friend or relative that's worried about somebody, I think. <sighs> I don't know if this is going to help or not, but I'm just going to say it. What I found when people were trying to encourage me to stop was that it just sent me the other way. Okay, please don't try and force somebody into recovery. Don't guilt trip them. Don't, you know, don't don't try and make them feel bad. Don't don't try and force them to take action they're not ready to take because it really has got the danger that it will just send them the other way. Right, a person is never going to deal with it until they are ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but just know that being there for them, you know, and I know that it can be, I mean, I imagine that it can be hard. Obviously, I've been the addict rather than the support function. Mm-hmm. However, one of my friends was an alcoholic, and so I, I have seen it from that side of it. 
And, and it's hard watching somebody destroying themselves. But just know that there's always hope. There is always, always hope. And if you can just be accessible to them in those moments when they're having their dark times, that will carry a lot of weight for this person going forward. Absolutely. And now I guess for someone that's listening that is struggling with an addiction, whatever that addiction is, what yeah. advice would you give to them? Oh, my gosh. So first of all, ask yourself, you know, do I have a problem, right? Really bring awareness to it because that's the first step is admitting it um, and admitting it to yourself is yes. often the hardest step in my own experience. You know, ask yourself, am I doing this more than other people? Am I hiding things? Have I blacked out? You know, am I missing stuff um, like work? Am I not sleeping? Am I not eating? These kind of things will give you a clue as to whether or not you have got a problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. Once you've got that information and you're armed with the truth, then it's going to be about sharing it with somebody else. Now, whether that be your doctor, whether that be a support group, whether that be a recovery coach like myself, you know, it really is imperative that you talk about it because it, addiction thrives in isolation and denial is a massive barrier to, yeah. to you getting the help that you need. Um, but I would always encourage you not to seek help until you're actually ready and committed to do it because what can potentially happen, what happened for me is that I tried and because I wasn't really committed, wasn't really ready, of course I went back. And then when I went back, I had all this evidence that, well, it doesn't work anyway. It doesn't work. I can't quit. So why should I bother trying? And it, it, it's uh, counterintuitive, counterproductive, right? So really wait. But as you said it. as well, though, everybody's journey is unique. Of course. So for 100%. some people, it might be okay to ask yeah. for help, even if they're not 100% there, because sometimes we have to try and fail, try and fail, try and fail many yeah. times before we actually go, okay, look at yeah. what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to say as well at this juncture, just know that however much you're struggling or however much of a mess that you think you've made of your life, know that the minute that you choose you, everything changes, everything changes. And it can take time for that to filter out into every area of your life, like healing relationships or built getting money back or whatever. However, this is not your final destination, okay? It absolutely isn't. Recovery is the start of a beautiful, beautiful journey. I love that. When you decide to choose you, everything changes. So oh, perfect yeah. place to end our interview there. So Sarah, thank, thank you so much for taking the time out today and for being part of my show. Thank you so much. unbroken healing through storytelling if you haven't already go on download subscribe give us a five-star rating it really helps us get this important and life-changing message out to as many people as possible there is already a selection of fantastic episodes to choose from and a brand new one coming soon unbroken healing through storytelling playing now on all the main platforms including apple podcasts spotify stitcher for android google podcasts amazon music and here Play Unbroken, the podcast, with Madeline Black.